This is a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. Go to allthews.3cr.org.au. And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast. A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they trade in is not wheat. They trade in famine. A little dose of revolutionary optimism. I think it's really important to sort of express solidarity globally. It really is a deal by corporations for corporations. The union forever defending our rights down with the black leg. If you think the ABC's left wing, don't listen to this program. Solidarity Breakfast, 7.30 to 9am Saturdays, 3CR, 8.55am. Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, solidaritybreakfast.org.au. Solidarity forever! Good morning everybody, Annie here for Solidarity Breakfast this Saturday morning. Uh, sorry about uh, the technical difficulty of uh, not hearing the entire fabulous Stick Together program put together by our new team member Giselle Hanna. Uh, you can get the podcast for the entire interview, but uh, we got uh, some of the tantalising, uh, terrible facts about what's going on for Bangladeshi workers and uh, garment workers. This is uh, uh, the workers who are making all this uh, tat that people are buying in our shops uh, at expensive rates. So there you go. Um, They are subsisting on uh, substandard wages and in substandard conditions. Uh, Things need to change in this uh, vast world of ours. And, of course, one of the things that needs to change is what's going on in Palestine. We're going to uh, start the program, as we have for a while now, with uh, some of the speeches from the Sydney rallies, which have been recorded by Vivian Langford. She is our friend from uh, the uh, Climate Action Program, which is on uh, 5.30pm on 3CR. It's also on Mondays. It's also podcast. Uh, fabulous program. She's a, st- a staunch uh, 3CR contributor. Um, so we're going to hear a few speeches from there. Uh, I'm going to uh, speak with Ahmed Baraka, who is a Lebanese-Iraqi activist, writer and University of Melbourne PhD student about what's been going on when people wear kafirs in support of Palestine at the Melbourne University uh, ceremonies that have been going on uh, for uh, over the last week as they uh, get their... Um, uh, the accreditations uh, at the uh, the ceremonies that have been going on. There's been uh, quite a bit of uh, argy-bargy and we're going to hear what uh, some of the st- students and uh, staff in support of Palestine have been experiencing and uh, how they work towards making it more normal that it, you should be supporting the oppressed. Um, we are also going to talk to Danny Bali, who is the president of RAFU, Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. They're calling for a consumer boycott of Coles and Woolworths from December the 18th in support of their pay conditions, safety, job security and respect claims. Uh, we, uh, we hear from Kevin uh, and Don Sutherland's going to uh, give us a, a word about profits and COP28. Uh, in our last live program before the summer season commences. 
Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war, stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. With Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and uh, uh, Jenny Leong, MP for New South Wales, uh, gave a thrilling and chilling speech at the Sydney rally on uh, the 10th, uh, which was Human Rights Day, uh, which is uh, quite uh, disturbing. As one of the speakers said at that Sydney rally and pointed out that uh, the uh, Human Rights Declaration uh, was actually inaugurated in 1948, which coincided with uh, the Nakba, which is a bit chilling as well. Uh, it, this piece also ends with a poem by Rafah Alarir, who was killed last week. So uh, it's all rather pertinent. Thank you so much, Sydney, for turning out today. The trauma, the devastation and the destruction that we have been witnessing over the past weeks is nothing short of horrifying. But as a country founded on colonisation and genocide, we know that the kind of displacement and the kind of human rights violations that we are seeing right now rain down on Gaza are nothing new to the First Nations people of this land. And so we say from Gadigal to Gaza, may we follow the lead of our First Nations elders and recognise that this always was and always will be First Nations land. It is almost beyond belief that we are here on International Human Rights Day and that we saw the United Nations Security Council yesterday fail to pass a resolution that called for an immediate and permanent ceasefire. We 
country too. And so I urge you, I urge you, when you go home today, take a minute to look up their number, ring them up, bombard their email addresses, bombard their phone addresses, go to their offices, speak to them, because until Australia calls for a permanent immediate ceasefire, we here have not done our job to pressure them enough. A massive shout out to the Palestinian Action Group who have done an incredible, incredible job for organising these massive rallies. They are feeling the trauma and the pain of this and our solidarity and respect goes to all of you. Thank you very much. I'm Jenny Leon from the Greens and we need a fucking ceasefire now. From the river to the sea. internet right now. Thank you, Jenny. It's important that now more than ever, we continue to elevate the voices of Palestinians in Gaza and on the ground. And I want to read out a poem by martyred poet this week, Rifat Al-Arir. He says, if I must die, you must live to tell my story, to sell my things, to buy a piece of cloth and some strings, make it, with a, with, make it white with a long tail, so that a child somewhere in Gaza, while looking heaven in the eye, awaiting his dad who left in a blaze and bid no one farewell, not even to his flesh, not even to himself, sees the kite, my kite you made flying up above and thinks for a moment an angel is there bringing back love. If I must die, let it bring hope. Let it be a tale. Rifat was murdered this week by the Israeli occupation forces. His only weapon was a pen. Shame! From the river to the sea You messing with Gaza, you messing with me Palestine all on my feet I'm seeing my people deceased They killing our children, ain't even discreet These murderers tasting our blood like it's sweet Some ones who say silent been pissing me off These Hollywood calling give give gifts at all Who's the real goal cause that sure ain't LeBron Khaled is the biggest bitch of them all They ain't true. One side is oppressive, the other's oppressed. And guys are alone over 2,000 deaths. They call us barbaric, now make it make sense. I'm fighting for Palestine, tell my last breath, and I'm gone. From the river to the sea. Palestine. You messing with Gaza, you messing with me. Got this eyes in front of the embassy, 2,000 feet. Got this eyes And when we show up, they gon' block out these streets. Palestine. You're with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and uh, we're going to be now speaking to Ahmed Barakan. Uh, he's a Lebanese-Iraqi activist, writer and University of Melbourne PhD student. 
He's currently involved in one of the uh, of the organisers in the University of Melbourne for Palestine group and has been involved with Palestinian activism on campus for years, including the BDS motion. And you may be aware that at Melbourne University, there there were expressions of solidarity for Palestine by wearing kafirs and carrying protest signs during a recent graduation ceremony at the exhibition buildings in Carlton. But it caused a stir. So uh, let's hear what Ahmed has to say. Hello, Ahmed. How are you? I'm good. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. So tell my listeners about what uh, uh, the protest was uh, intending to do at the uh, graduation ceremonies at the exhibition buildings. Of course. I think for us, the very first thing which is very important for us when it comes to building these movements and grassroots is, of course, displaying that solidarity that people in the community do actually care about this issue, that it genuinely means something to them, but that also making it normal. Because I feel for a very long time when it comes to Palestinian activism, it's in something exceptional, it's in something out of the ordinary, and it's in only for people who have been racialized, which means that when someone else tries to get concerned or tries to get involved, they get told, why do you care? as though what's happening in Palestine has nothing to do with everything else. For us, what's happening in Palestine is interlinked to every single settler colonial project. Every single one of them feeds into each other. So for us to care about Palestine is to care about here, and to care about here is to care about Palestine. These two issues cannot be separated. So when it comes to, for example, um, not necessarily education, but awareness on the issue, uh, displaying a solidarity, that kafir thing was the most simple thing we could come up with, because what had happened was that the university had pretty much assumed that, or rather not assumed, but made it clear that they did not see us as an, an issue which had any real concern to them, that there was not a big enough support, at least publicly, that they should care much. And so what we decided to do was, along with the city Intifada and Free Palestine Melbourne, was to get, now we're at nearly 300 kafirs, and we still have to get more. Uh, it's to sort of stand outside the graduation, handing out kafirs to people who wanted to wear one whilst graduating, the feedback has been great. There have been some attacks, unfortunately, but that tends to come with any sort of activism these days. And so the skill is, is learning how not to engage with it, especially because this hateful vitriol de- pushes us away from where we need to be. However, what had actually happened uh, yesterday, actually, so after what is now four days, five days of graduations and peaceful protests and peaceful solidarity, an Eritrean student had pulled out a Palestinian flag and was immediately rushed by security and staff uh, who were very aggressive, tried to pull it out of his hand. And, I mean, obviously he was quite shocked. He couldn't understand why, because this whole week everyone has been able to do similar things and no issues. And then he was ejected from the graduation. He wasn't allowed to graduate. He wasn't allowed to have photos. He wasn't allowed to have anything. They just ejected him, took him straight out of the building after 30 minutes. And he, spent quite an exp- he had spent quite a lot of money on the tickets for him and his family. And when we had a meeting with the university about it, what they had said to us was that there was no such policy. They had made it explicitly clear to all the staff, and for me this is what makes it worse, they made it clear to all the staff that there were to be no interventions, any signs of solidarity with Palestine, none. That no staff should intervene, that they should let the student do as they wish because it's their graduation, it's their special day, so on and so forth. So for us, what this confirms, because as activists, we have to act out of love. We have to assume the best, even though they assume the worst in us, because they want us to be demonized, they want us to be dehumanized. They assume the very worst. For us, 
because our liberation is liberation for all, we have to love all. We have to assume the best of all. So when he had been ejected, we had assumed, out of assuming the best for them, that this was a policy, maybe, that they had changed something, that there was a miscommunication, whatever it may be. To then be told explicitly that there was no such thing, that all students, also all staff had been told not to intervene, made it very clear this was racialized. That because this was a black student pulling out a flag, this was racialized, it was targeted, because the white students and the white pipes, and, and sorry, the white adjacent students who had shown their solidarity, no intervention whatsoever. The moment a black student had done it, merely ejected from the graduation. And for us, this isn't enough to so just be told, oh, there's miscommunication, you know, we'll, we'll sort of... No, because this is something that we know has been happening for well over two centuries, three centuries, that this settler colonial project, century and a half ongoing, has existed like this only because of the fact that every single framework and institution works against black people. Oh First goodness. Nations people First Nations have been, person, yeah. Yeah, to, to be ejected. And, I mean, we even had, uh, and I talked about this in the last interview, I'll, I'll bring it up again because I think it's still very relevant and it ties exactly into this, that when a First Nations person graduating from their master's pulled out a banner that said Blackfellas of Palestine, the camera immediately panned away, and they didn't get any photos. Immediately. So we have two instances here where the Seller Colonial University has made it very clear what forms of solidarity it will accept and from who it will accept it. And for us, this is unacceptable. <laughs> oh, they're so uncomfortable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's so bizarre. Uh, also, but uh, also, Melbourne University has um, has a uh, a background of um, deceit in a sense because it has a thirteen million dollar deal with arms manufacturer Lockheed Martin, who supplies yes. weapons that kill Palestinians and others. Yes, and the issue that we have with this partnership, a working relationship, as we've been told in a few meetings, that they prefer not the word partnership, because it's not legalese enough, it's not technically a partnership, it's something different, is that the assumption that because, oh, we're not explicitly involved in weapons, we just do all the other things. And so we have made it very clear, first of all, we're against any weapons proliferation, second of all, what are stupid, and what tends to happen, and what makes it actually worse is that when you have companies like this on a university ground, even if it's not weapons, in fact, if it's not weapons, it's worse, because then it's about legitimizing it, making it palatable, making it acceptable to have this company around, as though it is fine to have. It's like, for example, and actually, you know, I won't use that example because it might implicate one of the staff who told us this in the meeting, but the idea that if there's a major conglomerate and all their various wings do different things, that it's okay for one of them to do one thing, even if the main company is bad. For us, not at all. The Lockheed Martin project, as it has been for a century and a bit now, since prior to World War II, when it was just Lockheed, is to capitalize off war, is to capitalize on the killing of people. That's it. That's their mission statement. So every single time something is brewing, they feed into it, they put billions into it, they lobby, they fund they put money into research to prove or to rather convince the politicians that this is the course of action to take, that killing people is the course of action to take. Because after every single war, you only need to look at their treasures, their coffers, and you'll see that they've made trillions. They've made billions and trillions of the killing of us, and they've been doing this for a century. So this is something that's very, very, it comes natural to them at this point. Well, well, so but, us, well as you point out, it's crucial to put pressure on institutions that boast absolutely. humanity 
but whose actions directly enable and, and encourage inhumanity. I like the Absolutely. way the phraseology of that. <laughs> it's important. And in fact, because these universities are producers of knowledge and they are centres of knowledge production, at least it's what they want to be, <laughs> when it comes to having some critical thinking about these kind of things, weapons manufacturing, there should be no dissent whatsoever by the fact that they should not be involved at all with any company which is directly involved in ethnic cleansing and genocide. Any company which profits off this should be off the list. There should be no way that this passes an ethics committee. There shouldn't be any way. But of course, because the university does not view that as uh, an important consideration to take, because for them, especially as I said before, a settler colonial institution, other settler colonies can do so much, and that's fine. It's all the other things, apparatus, it's fine. But it's only the gun, maybe, that they have an issue with, the chemical weapon they have an issue with. Oh, we won't be involved in nuclear weapons. Okay, but what about everything else? Mm. Why? Well, well, l let's get on to the other yeah. glaring piece of uh, evidence against Melbourne University, which is mm -hmm. the conflating of anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism, uh, uh, which is a very hot uh, item at the moment, isn't it? Of course. The issue that has stifled activism for so long, and in fact I have a story, unfortunately, what happened to a student, is the idea that Israel is a nation under siege, that it is a nation which has self-victimized itself, and to criticize even just its existence, the fact that it is a settler colonial project, to even mention the fact that there is currently a class of people, the Palestinian people, underneath, who are being colonized, who are being oppressed, is now considered to be anti-Semitic. But to even consider or question why Israel needs to be spending billions of dollars on this military apparatus is now anti-Semitic. And what happened was actually, was uh, at a conference, at a symposium, a speaker who was speaking about, um, if, from memory, it was Jewish concerns post-October 7th. It was that, just that topic. And then one student had just asked, okay, but how does this work in relation to Palestinians? Especially, for example, the fact that Palestinians are being ethnically cleansed actively in the Gaza. Instead of answering the question, the student was called an anti-Semite, anti and there was a report filed. Oh and they goodness. had to go through the administrative wing. And so this is the defense, because instead of dealing with the critiques, instead of recognizing that there's active ethnic cleansing, immediately defense is anti-Semitism. And the university has given them this through the IHRA, has allowed for this defense to be used to stifle any kind of activism, to stifle any kind of questioning, and to stifle any critiques. For us, it's not at all anti-Semitic to be criticizing a settler colonial project, not one which has killed hundreds of thousands of Palestinians in 75 years. Well, no, not to me either, but, you know, there you go. Um, <laughs> in fact, it, it uh, was quite telling that uh, all this that has been happening, this bloodshed that's happened at the in this period, seems to have followed two years of Palestinian voices finally reaching uh, the public of the world. You know, it, yeah. it, it was... Uh, it had reached a critical point where finally it was established publicly in loud in loud words that Israel is an apartheid state. I mean, the step-by-step -step cruelty has been so extreme for so long. Yes. Uh, I, honestly, I would like to thank... <laughs> I use this word thank a bit funnily, but 
I'd like to thank social media for that. I think for a lot of students, a lot of staff, a lot of the general public, in fact, the fact that there is a direct connection through Tovazade, the direct connection through social media, for example, anyone now can go on Instagram and very easily find live video of what's happening. They can see what's happening. And it's un- you can't deny it when there's pretty much millions of hours worth of video piling in, just coming in. You can't deny it. There's no way you can look at that all without having genuine cognitive dissonance to then say, oh, they are the oppressors and not that they are the victims. There's no way in which someone can see what has been happening to the families there, what has been happening to the, the women, the, men, the, the women, men and children, what has been happening to the old, the young, what has been happening to the disabled and the able, sorry, the... Uh, 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 everybody, in fact. Everybody. everybody. There's no discrimination, not even between, for example... Uh, the cis and the non-cis, or hetero and the non-hetero. The, these things, these distinctions are not being made by Israel. That is an only concern for them is that there is a Palestinian, they must be ethnically cleansed. So this is why I believe that there is such a strong showing of solidarity from every single circle. And that's what it needs, to be honest, because in order to take down the federal colonial project, in order to no longer make it palatable to talk about Israel, and to be able to talk about Palestine at the dinner table now, you need every single circle to realize that this is ethnic cleansing, that there is no way to make it justifiable, that the, we cannot accept the same racist rhetoric that was used to justify the ethnic cleansing in settler colonial projects elsewhere, the same projects that they use here in Australia and they continue to use, the same ones in America and Canada that they continue to use, and they rely on the oh, same Africa, racist the rhetoric. Yeah, the same racist rhetoric, 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 rhetoric they are using in Palestine, in Gaza. It's the same thing. And so these commissions have to be made. Well, um, thank you very much for talking to us today. And uh, thank you for for making it uh, clear that uh, Melbourne University's uh, graduation ceremonies needs to take into account uh, the broader issues. That, that, of course. Yes. Thank you very much, Ahmed, for talking thank to us so this morning. Stand in solidarity with Palestine this Sunday. With the most devastating attack ever launched on the people of Gaza, it's time for all of us to stand in solidarity with the Palestinian people. Israel has waged war on the Palestinians for the last 75 years. The Nakba, ethnic cleansing, occupation of the West Bank, East Jerusalem and Gaza. Israel has now imposed a total blockade on Gaza and declared war stopping food, electricity and fuel and launching an all-out attack. We have to mobilise to show our support for Palestine. 12pm, State Library, this Sunday. Rally to demand freedom and justice for Palestine. No war on Gaza. Free Palestine Melbourne is a 3CR supporter.
gonna ring in my ear. My heart started jumping, I began to shout. Stuck here wondering what it all about. How long? Well, well, how long? Dear listeners, Tama Voice is holding our annual Radiothon on Christmas Day, Monday, December 25th from 9am to 4pm to raise funds for disadvantaged Victorian Tamil students in need for higher education. It will be a great day of broadcasting with Tamil news, views, songs, local announcements, children's programs and interviews with students who receive support from local and foreign community leaders. To donate, call the station on 0394 198377 during the radiothon to talk with our volunteers and tune in for the Thumbo Voices annual radiothon Monday December 25th between 9am and 4pm You're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast and uh, we've got uh, Danny Barley on the line. She is the president of uh, RAFU, the uh, fighting union, the retail and fast food workers union. G'day, Danny. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Um, this is a very important request that you're making of uh, 3CR listeners and the community in general, aren't you? Indeed. Um, we're asking for people to join a community boycott of the supermarket duopoly, so Coles and Woolworths. 
um, from Monday, December 18th to support um, our members who are going to be taking uh, nationwide industrial action uh, to get a better contract. Okay, so is it just on the 18th of December that you want people to boycott them? Um, it'll be from the 18th to the 24th, so up until Christmas. Um, we're basically encouraging people, if you can, shop elsewhere. Okay, now tell, tell us about uh, Rafu's experience of trying to negotiate with Coles and Woolworths. Um, I, I will preface this by saying I'm not involved directly in the bargaining, but my understanding is that uh, Coles and Woolies have both uh, dragged their feet. I believe it's Coles. It's been about four years uh, where we've been trying to get them to come to the bargaining table, and they've only just come because of the laws passed last year. Um, Woolworths has been bargaining, but it, it, it's, again, it's the same thing. We put in our log of claims back in March, and there hasn't been any kind of real progress since then. So tell us about the key issues, because I know that uh, there was a, 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 a strike uh, quite recently, a super strike, which uh, as the uh, people who were standing outside Coles down in Swanston, uh, Spencer Street said uh, in Melbourne, said... Um, it was a dream that uh, the workers in these major outlets would one day be standing in a strike because it was so difficult to uh, build uh, enough uh, energy to be able to get people to be fighting back for, from this disrespectful employer. Absolutely. So, I mean, part of the, the problem just in retail and fast food in general is it's such a, a, a transitory industry. But, you know, what, what our members are fighting for are just basic things. We're talking about a living wage. So most of them are paid at best. They're a little bit above the minimum wage at around $25, $26 an hour. But anyone under the age of 21 is going to be paid a proportion of that. You know, sometimes as low as $12 an hour. Um, if they're a worker with a, a disability, they could be paid just a couple of dollars an hour under um, the current laws. So we're, we're calling for an end to that. We're calling for a minimum of a $29 an hour um, uh, wage, which would be, you know, the start of a living wage. It's quite low compared to a lot of other industries. We're also calling for things like, um, you know, Security for casuals and part-time workers where they're not going to have their rosters filled on a regular basis for what are, quote, you know, business needs, where they have no ability to go, hey, that, that doesn't work for me. I'm going to lose X amount of money because I was on night shift and now I'm on evenings, things like that. But also proper security in stores, you know, are... are these workers are, are facing an increasing level of abuse and harassment. And the answer from a lot of the, you know, companies is basically amounting to here, we'll give you some CCTV, you know, to wear on your body in the form of like body cameras. And, you know, I would argue almost amounts to kind of, you know, Hey, we, we hope you feel better, but we're sorry that someone threw a metal scooter as reported by Yahoo News last week. You know, we're, we're sorry someone assaulted you. 
Yeah, I mean, it's the the, the fallacy about C- CCTV cameras is that it uh, stops uh, crime, but in actual fact, it just witnesses crime, really. Yeah, and the idea that, you know, the, the workers are going to, in a heated moment, either go, okay, I'm turning on my body camera so that, you know, that's not going to increase the, the antagonism from, you know, whoever's harassing them, or that they're going to remember to do that in a, in a you know, full-on situation. Like, it, it's, just, it's just ridiculous. And they keep saying things like, we can't, you know, it's too expensive to have security during the day. You know, these are companies that have each made over a billion dollars in the last year. So it, it, it rings a bit hollow. It's interesting because it's a little bit like uh, the idea that a person gets in the head when they talk about a farm. People think about the local farmer and the farmer, but they don't realise that actually a real farm these days is actually a corporation and it has a manager. So the the family farm myth. But when you think about a, a supermarket like Coles or Woolworths, you get a picture in your head of a busy, um, uh, with lots of people interacting, that sort of stuff. But of course, there's lots of isolated areas where people are by themselves and are very uh, open to abuse of this sort. Indeed. And, you know, you, you never know who's going to be waiting in a darkened car park or, you know, things like that. So I can I can only I, I can only imagine the, the kind of things that that you end up fearing in those moments. And, you know, I, I think also, too, you know, so many people have the attitude of, oh, well, you know, this is your first job. And like, you know, then you go on to a better job. But there, there are a lot of people that this is a lifelong job or for whatever reason, like it doesn't matter. Every worker deserves dignity. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, that's the thing. It, no, every fair pay for, for the work that they're doing. I mean, uh, it's uh, the the problem that you're talking about is job security as well as, uh, and that f- flows on to not just uh, being able to pay the rent, but actually being able to plan a future. Indeed. And also, even just at this point, to afford the groceries that they're helping to sell. I mean, Coles has introduced uh, bag checks for employees as they leave to make sure they're not, you know, stealing food because they can't afford to sell it. You know, it, it's... It's insults like that that are just kind of, it's a bit on the nose if you would write that in a fictional story. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, what really happens when they depress wages and security of employment is increase the amount of security to observe workers as well as people buying from their shops. Absolutely. So they've brought in, you know, all of the the kind of, you know, cameras and and other um, anti-theft things into the the self-checkouts, but they're also increasing security in the, the, you know, back of house area for um, workers. So they're doing locker checks and then bag checks and things like that. But they're not uh, providing security that will defend the workers from assault. Exactly. Well, that's an interesting uh, analysis of their behaviour, isn't it? And who they actually are working for. Um, this, uh, how did, uh, do you know how the um, 
the concept of uh, ramping up community conne- um, support for the actions of the workers and the work- workers' needs in the co- in the supermarkets uh, came about. How they decided to do the uh, shopper uh, boycott, community boycott from December the eighteenth to the twenty fourth to Coles and Woolworths. Well, I. I wasn't involved in those discussions, but I think more broadly, something that we've learned as a union is community support is one of those key things. When when we were involved in the Better Red Than Dead campaign, which was a bookstore in Newtown in Sydney, um, part of what, you know, really kind of uh, buoyed us through that was the, the absolute, you know, staunch community support, you know, supporting those workers there. And it was certainly something that came up during the super strike in October, which was, you know, okay, well, I'm not a Coles or a Woolly, you know, worker, but what can I do to to support? So I think, you know, particularly at a time when, you know, it's the week before Christmas, this is, you know, all retailers are certainly expecting to, to make a boatload, but especially things like grocery store sellers you know, as people are preparing for Christmas lunches and things like that, they're they're certainly expecting to make a lot. So this is this is a chance for the community to um, you know, throw their weight around a little bit, particularly when the, the duopoly, you know, takes over nearly sixty percent of the, the grocery market. So it's not just affecting workers, it's affecting farmers, it's affecting other manufacturers, consumers. Yeah, um, but, across the board. Yeah, yeah, because what they do is by by um, owning the market like this, as we've seen with price gouging, it's been shown that there has been significant price gouging because they can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even you know, Choice gave them a, a Shonky Award for cashing in on the the whole cost of living crisis, and there, there, you know, there was no kind of like oh, bowed heads, you know shame about it. They're just like, yeah, that's, you know, that's what we do. In fact, it's a badge of honour, really, for them. Yeah, probably. I mean, probably. I'm sure in some, you know, shareholder conversations. Yeah, well, it's about time the community actually fought back. There are alternative ways of uh, uh, buying uh, what you need. Uh, and um, it might even be a, a, the start for the community to reclaim all those outlets that they'd forgotten about because they thought it was more convenient to go to a very large shop. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah. then, you know, that, that, there's also that wonderful thing of then you build kind of local community. So you do know your butcher, you do know your fruit seller. That's exactly right. Uh, and uh, it's um, really important that the community starts to fight back from these corporations because it, it's, it's a prison that, uh, and they're just about to close the door and lock, lock the, uh, the lock with their key. Uh, and uh, it's almost uh, it's time for people to realise that we need a little bit of diversity in this uh, for our own safety. For sure. Absolutely. Okay, thank you very much for talking to us about this um, and being creative in uh, this method of uh, uh, finding other ways of uh, getting the workers' message across. No worries. And just, yeah, if people are looking for more information, uh, I'll just plug our website, um, rafu.org.au. We've got more information 
about that if people want to get involved. Because, yeah, obviously, you know, the, the only way workers win is when they work together. Thank you very much for talking to me this morning, Danny. All right. No worries. Have a good day. You too. Well, that was Danny um, Barley, and she's the president of RAFU, Retail and Fast Food Workers Union. They're asking for us, the community, to boycott Coles and Woolworths between December the 18th and the 24th uh, in support of their need to negotiate for pay, conditions, safety, job security and respect. Uh, be part of the answer. <laughs> still don't have the right to work are feeling the impacts of the cost of living crisis leaving them unable to put food on the table for their families let alone afford rent healthcare and other essentials give to ASRC's end of year appeal and help shine a light of hope for refugees and people seeking asylum this festive season donate today at asrc.org.au/donate a3cr supporter
Solidarity Bricky team listener, when as the horrors of the devastation, the slaughter, the massacre, the genocide continue relentlessly, we commented last week how even the sponsor of the perpetrators was concerned at the image the destruction is having for its protege, Zion. A report under US pressure to prevent further mass casualties, Zion says it is being more precise as it widens its offensive. The US sincerity tested as it had the perfect solution to mass casualties, but vetoed calls for a ceasefire. Indeed, in response to those who condemn the war crimes, its president, with the hubris that drives US attitudes to the rest of the world, said, the world will look harshly on those who turn their back on freedom's cause. Relegating the Palestinians to opponents of freedom deserving destruction and elevating war criminality to freedom's cause. Now, a week went after study after study confirming every study's finding that cut stone is deadly for workers, the government has taken the courageous step of phasing it out by sometime next year. When we might have thought, clearly fallaciously, that given it is killing workers, silicosis, a dreadful death, a government that cared about workers might just have banned it altogether ages ago when the lethal danger was known. Still, if we reckon that response has been slow, has left a bit to be desired, caused all that unnecessary death and injury, the sundry cop that planet Earth's responses to the equally well-known dangers about which they meet has made the silicon response look like grease lightning. Or as the world destruction fossil lobby, but let's clarify, destruction only if there is such a thing as climate change, the World Fossil Destruction Lobby said any resolution must be just, orderly and equitable. Just for us, so people can order our products and ensure our profits are more than equal to last year's profits. See? Just, order and more than equal. Just, orderly and equitable. At least for the first time, fossils got a mention in the final report they so laboured over for days. Transition. And to transition from fossils, we have to have fossils from which to transition. So shame to those who campaign to eliminate fossils altogether unconsciously. We'll give them the benefit of the doubt, preventing the transition from fossils to fossils. Although a bit like the silicon transition, we might have thought might have thought that given they meet to discuss the issues around anthropogenic climate change in which fossils feature heavily after 28 cop that planet earth talk fests the question of fossils just might have made it into a final communique by now they managed 27 without mentioning the reason they were there no no i take back that bit about giving these climate activists the benefit of the doubt. We commented last week that those who oppose fossil pollution are always described by the responsible people in this society as activists, usually pejoratively. Impediments to the progress that is good for all of us, unless, like these anti-social activists, we think the destruction of planet Earth isn't quite that good for all of us. But I, I take back benefit of the doubt because the Machiavellian manoeuvrings of these public vandals were exposed clearly by no lesser fighter for working people than the Western true to Aussie socialist supremo Roger Cook the Planet. 
well-funded environmental groups are working to divide two of Nulia's non-land, non-people communities and use them to oppose the development of major resource projects across the country. Tiwi Islanders taking pause said toss us the profits to court over a gas pipeline through their waters, backed by the perfidious Environment Defenders Office, and Tiranulius non-land, non-people upsetting poor Woodside with profits attempts to do a little bit of seismic testing off the Barrow Peninsula. To make matters worse, talk about disrespect. One of the non-land, non-people being used in the Woodside with case Save Our Songlines founder Rayleigh Cooper described Cook the Planet's comments as a load of crock. Has she no respect for authority? Well, that's rhetorical, obviously not. Thankfully, Cook the Planet simultaneously announced sweeping reforms to stop this threat to prosperity, reforms to environmental protection laws to expedite resource projects. Phew, thank goodness for that. Yes, yes, we heard correctly, reform environmental protection laws to allow, we assume, resource behemoths carte blanche because we know they'll have environmental protection first and foremost on their balance, um, sorry, mines. And it gets even worse for the great resource giants, highlighted by True Blue Aussie Capitalist Review P1 headline, IR shake-up means war on miners. You're not going to believe this, but the poor dears face having to pay workers the same pay for the same work and wage theft as a crime, when we know there is no such thing, just an inadvertent inability to read clearly very, very complicated industrial awards. Big business will wage a mining textile campaign against the economic vandals in the all-being-oozy government, the story opens. Did they say wage? Anyway, the True Blue Aussie Minerals Profits Council described it as a declaration of war on business. This reckless bill looms as the tipping point as an act of economic vandalism, it screamed, and more importantly, something we weren't aware of. True Blue Aussie is already teetering on the edge of a recession as economic growth grinds to a halt. Oh yes, they're doing it tough. Isn't it always the way? Every time greedy workers want something, it is always at the wrong time. On which big economic, economic guru Jim Chalmers Capital handed down his in-between budgets budget and announced he was unable to provide any relief from cost of living pressures, but on a positive note told us yet again, he knows people are doing it tough. That always makes them feel better. Our filthiest rich of the filthy rich, Gina, showed her usual caring side when she called for the government to help those doing it tough, announcing a heap of tax reforms which just coincidentally would mean she too wouldn't be doing it quite so tough. In the what she really meant to say department, the Queensland Health Minister withdrew uh, from the leadership contest declaring, it's time for unity. Obviously, Polly speak for, I haven't got the numbers. And in the, there was no need to say it, department, a, <coughs> sorry, a police spokesperson asked why they had not arrested Extinction Rebellion protests, informed us, this does not mean like, you know, we support the protesters in any way like. Totally, totally unnecessary.
proven next day when they laid into the protesters and arrested loads of them after the state caring business class opposition complained that they must arrest them and again like their federal counterparts whose courage deserted them when the coalition carried on over that high court decision, we assume the socialist government buckled at the knees. On which P1 screaming headline in the Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin Monday, next to picky of Minister Catherine King hit the desperate, Labour, sorry at last. And I thought, oh good, they've apologised to all those people they locked up for years, but no, no, wrong. They apologise for letting them out. And in the, that's a tough one to part, but after someone has attempted to firebomb the Crook Casino, a commentator asked, why would someone bomb the casino? <laughs> yes, yes, wonder. By the way, the casino supremo, Chris Carravas, have your money, is being investigated for intervening to admit people who had been banned by security, but surely his actions were quite reasonable, because they would have had heaps of money and been odds on to lose. And a farmer in an item suggesting our supermarket duopoly might be ripping off asked, I get $4 a kilo and they sell it for $50 a kilo. Who's making the money? Mmm, who? Tough one, tough one. Oh, and on the one occasion we wish the Republicans would block legislation, they vote for Forkus. And the socialists tell us this is exciting news, good for us. Finally, on a serious note again, if the dear baby Jesus was looking for a place to be born these days, he'd find there wasn't even a manger left standing. And let's hope his virgin mother wouldn't need medical attention. Let's keep uh, protesting, but also keep safe. Listener, back next year. Good morning. Dear 3CR listeners, Tama Voice is holding our annual Radiothon on Christmas Day, Monday, December 25th from 9am to 4pm to raise funds for disadvantaged Victorian Tamil students in need for higher education. It will be a great day of broadcasting with Tamil news, views, songs, local announcements, children's programs and interviews with students who receive support from local and foreign community leaders. To donate, call the station on 0394198377 during the Radiothon to talk with our volunteers and tune in for the Thumble Voices annual Radiothon Monday, December 25th between 9am and 4pm. You're back with Annie on Solidarity Breakfast, and we've got Don Sutherland on the line. G'day, Don. How are you? I'm pretty good, Annie, and I've just worked out what I want for Christmas. What is that? A long lunch with Kevin Healy. <laughs> well, I'll give him your number. I don't know how to uh, how to uh, continue. And uh, yeah, please give him my number. We, I've never met Kevin, but I just really enjoy and learn from each of his contributions. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'm going to try and, in a more, in a drier way, being me, uh, elaborate on some of the issues he's raised. I might just toss in, by the way, 
that he would be fascinated to know that yesterday the Australian Financial Review, that he calls the Capitalist Review, announced that Gina Reinhart was their Business Person of the Year. <laughs> there oh, you go. Cal uh, Supreme. <laughs> <laughs> so today, Annie, I'd like to uh, continue uh, with the theme of how things interact with each other. Go for it. And uh, this time, uh, riffing off of the discussion we had last time uh, about the overall shape of the economy, particularly relative to profits and investment, applied to the problem of um, a rapid green transition that starts the reversal of climate heating brought on by fossil fuel-based uh, capitalism. And this time, however, shifting the focus a little bit about the interaction with the standard of living and wages. Um, and one reason, of course, is that all of us, for better or worse, have been flooded with a wave of economic and ecological data over the last week or two. Um, but along the way, I'm going to toss in a little end-of-year gift for our dear listeners uh, on your wonderful program. Um, my starting point is that, of course, we have now reached the point where the Fair Work Commission announced yesterday its timetable for the annual wage review. And uh, as, as is usual, the first submissions from all of the different parties, the employer organisations and, and, of course, the ACTU, and three or four unions that put in their own submissions is in March. Uh, I forget the exact date now, but that's not critical. Um, and I think one of the interesting developments that has not yet gained momentum but ought to is a recent discussion about wages strategy uh, initiated by uh, Godfrey Mose from the United Workers' Union. Uh, he has published... Uh, in the Australian version of the American journal Jacobin, a really important article about wages strategy in which he calls for uh, an Australian approach to what he describes wrongly as a new uh, strategy called solidarity bargaining. He's got his history wrong about whether solidarity bargaining is new uh, it has a deep tradition in Australian unionism, actually, uh, although not always universally supported in the union. So, so it, what is it? Go on, tell us. Well, you can't, you can't have your you can have your stoush with Godfrey off air. Come on, tell us it, what it's about. What he does really well is show how the uh, the multiple enterprise bargaining struggles can be unified into a commonly organised struggle around the annual wage claim of the Australian Council of Trade Unions in the annual wage review. Oh, that'd be and great. He shows how this could be done by linking it to May Day as the focal point for the escalation of that interweaving of the two types of wages struggle around enterprise bargaining in the annual wage review. And I think it's a terrific discussion, even though he gets the history wrong. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but he's right, though, isn't he? Yeah. 
he's on the right track. I mean, I I just think he is absolutely on the right track. Whether he gets the all the detail and the tactics and strategy exactly right is not important, but it's the concept that he's raising, especially the Mayday focal point and, and the interweaving of those two dimensions of wages struggles that is really terrific. Well, of course, the United Workers Union deals with uh, the claims of many, many people who are in a position that are to be affected by the uh, uh, the wages review. Yes, yes. Most unions actually have a bigger proportion of their members who are in low incomes. After all, uh, half of the low income, uh, the median income level in Australia is now sixty-seven uh, wages. Right, wages income level is $67,000 a year and most of the Australian working class are at or below that level and most unions have an increased number of members who are in those lower income groups. So the annual wage review and how it's done is, as I've said for 10 years or so, is a very big deal and that is not, unfortunately, it's not well understood across our movement. Every union activist listening must read the Godfrey Mose article, uh, and I can send you the link so it can be posted. I will. At, Thank you. I'd like that. Solid breakfast page, but if they Google Jacobin Australia, they'll pick it up. It's in the most recent issue. Now, the context for that, for the annual wage review, is, of course, the overall shape of uh, the economy, and also the ecology, the two are linked. And we discussed it, the overall shape of what's going on in the economy last time with reference to investment. And I'll just, uh, before we go further, I'll just toss in that since that time, uh, we have had a new report, Kevin will love this, from the Australian industry group and its spokesperson in its Wilcox have uh, that says that they are deeply worried about the level of private investment, private corporation investment in research and development. Oh right! Oh really? After so what two decades or three decades a, of of uh, them uh, refusing to actually put money into this? Yes. Now, <laughs> the rapid transition that is required away from fossils to renewables, <laughs> you'd think that a priority would be, especially if profits have gone gangbusters, that there would be enough in those in that volume of profits to uh, increase and speed up the, the rate of investment in research and development on technologies and processes and so on to drive along and create the opportunity for profit-making in the context. But no, Australian capital hasn't done that. And this is an indicator of just how cravenly uh, inadequate they are and also a reminder that the dynamic of the system is more actually than just the general dynamic of the system because what... This is straight out of the work of the Australian Industry Group by admission. The fall in private business investment in research and development started 
uh, is the lowest in Australia relative to all of the OECD economy, all of the major economies. United States, Japan, Germany, the United Kingdom, France, Canada, all have higher rates of investment in research and development than Australia. The difference is this, that Australia's fall reduction in investment in research and development by private business started in the late noughties, around 2008, and accelerated after the uh, LNP government of Abbott um, and uh, what's his name, the buffoon who went off to the United States hockey, and then after him, uh, Turnbull and Morrison. So LNP governments have supervised and permitted the acceleration of the collapse in research and development just when it has been most needed. That's amazing. That I mean, it's almost... It's almost a criminal class, isn't it, really? That that is almost a criminal management of a vital part of our future. Yeah, I know. It's extraordinary. And then they go around pointing fingers at workers and and at government and everybody. It's it's like they've got a personality disorder collectively. Well, it's it's not... yeah, sort of. Yeah, I think some of them do actually. But the real was <laughs> is that these are conscious decisions made by boards and owners and so on. But it's also it dovetails with the priorities of the system. Uh, in, in other words, wealth accumulation must always minimise its costs, and um, research and development is defined as a cost not just as an investment. And there is a dumbness. It is pure uh, capitalist class dumbness, even from their own point of view, that the situation has got to where it is. Now, here's something else for Kevin to play with. Who does the Australian industry group blame for all of this? They blame the government. So it's not, this is, they just can't help themselves. That They can't look at their own responsibility. You see, the Australian industry group, as the peak body for a big part of the employers in Australia, ought to be banging the doors down about this amongst their own membership. But no, they well, I'll tell you something for free. That same fellow, Wilcox, um Innes was talking about the most Im, uh, important um, f- feature of education in Australia was its inability, its lowering levels of literacy and numeracy. It's like this a t- tin drum that they keep banging. That you know, employers keep banging that uh, Australian workers have got low literacy and. And numeracy, uh, you know, all the kids at school, uh, you know, and that's the most important thing that they're worried about. Yeah. Well, um, 
it's a separate topic. No, it's a separate topic, but, but the point but, is but that it, it, it's, the, it's just that they have mantras. That's my point. The, the hollowing out of vocational education. Yeah. Because of it's been turned over to private sector providers. Well, that's the point. This is what I mean. They they just no, I, refuse they, to actually involve themselves in solutions. Yeah. They uh, so in, in terms of their own system, even they don't get things wrong. They've now got a more efficient vocational education system, and they've failed themselves in their own system, and uh, escalated the danger of climate heating through their uh, failure, for whatever reason to uh, take research and development seriously. Uh, they need to be uh, metaphorically hung, drawn and quartered in the public debate over this. Uh, also, this is where I get to my little gift for everybody because it's been alphabet soup week, hasn't it? Mm-hmm. In the last week or so with both COP28 and MyFO, the Mid-Year Economic Forecast and all that sort of stuff, all of which is talking about living standards and um, climate heating, the reversal of that and so on. The new acronym for the economy is, and I'm going to drop it in, it also comes from the Australian Industry Group. It's one of the, It's an actually quite a useful thing they do. It's called the PIM, no, sorry, the PMI, which means the Purchasing Managers Index. Now, this little bit of data is used by... Uh, Lots of corporations uh, and other economic planners, to the extent that there is any, mm-hmm. to gauge on what's actually happening generally in the economy. And in brief, the way it works, they, they, they use uh, the AIG uses a survey of a big number of large corporations and other sizes as well, and they get a feedback on how. Um, what sort of business activity is going on. If the index comes in at 50, then it's all sort of going along, okay, but not much. If it's above 50 and further away from 50, then it means that the economy's in a healthy shape from their point of view. If it's below 50, then it's in a poor shape. And the further away from 50, it goes below, the worse it gets. Well... Once again, the AIG, with little public discussion or analysis, is reporting that right now, um, the most recent data is showing it at about 45. It's collapsed. It's the overall shape of the economy on the basis of the actual decisions of those who control it in the corporations is in a bad shape and not showing signs of getting better. Now, this dovetails then with some of the more uh, well-known indicators. Uh, The Australian National Accounts came out this week and we get the indications of at least a stagnant uh, economy. Why is this all important? Because this is the context in which we have to somehow or other reverse the collapse of uh, green investment. Uh, In some way or another, we have to do that. And at the same time, lift the living standards through the most important 
the most important living standards decision each year is the annual wage review. Somehow, in the context of a stagnant economy, we have to win that. Um, and that's what we face, and I think that's what Godfrey Mose has helped us to do. Right on. All right. So uh, he helps us to get our heads around that, and I'm saying to all union and uh, union labour movement and and environmental activists is to study that and work out how this interaction occurs between um, a better standard of living arising from uh, green investment, productive green investment in technology and processes that move us away rapidly from fossil fuel and at the same time raise the standard of living. The two go together. If we don't win, start winning battle, getting in, getting into battle, and struggles over the standard of living, the prospects of reversing, of winning the battle around investment policy, are diminished. Fitting into that is public ownership. We should be saying, uh, because this is what gov- uh, what employers are doing. They want government to replace and. Uh, make or uh, provide public dollars into green investment so that they don't have to. Yeah, yeah, it's quite obvious. They're lazy, lazy capitalists, and they're trying to make out that it, that's the right and proper way of things. But they really, you know, they're actually... The, the, the new mantra for this capitalist class, uh, and it's worldwide, is that we all have to pay for our own oppression, basically. Well, that's a, that's a rather neat way of putting it. uh, We should be saying no public dollars without public ownership and greater democratic control over how it is used. In other words, rights for workers and to be able to bargain over the investment decision, uh, that would be a terrific add-on to the quite positive outcomes from the closing loopholes uh, laws that were passed in the last week or so. Another important uh, gain, I think, overall. Yep, I think so too. View, I think the jury's out on whether it's actually going to lead to higher wages, but the annual wage review is far more important on that front than anything else. Uh, but nevertheless, it's a very important development, very positive, and I think that um, adding on to that in the next tranche, that workers ought to have the right to bargain over the investment decision is a way of uh, uh, another way besides public ownership of ensuring democratic control where it has been absent. Because we know when democratic control is not there, the employers are a failure. All right. This, this is a constant. this is a good way to end because we've come to the end. Um, Very good. I, I would like to wish you a happy summer season. <laughs> you know what. I, I, wish, I do wish that to you and all, but I don't, you know, I'm finding it hard to wish happiness in the context of what's happening with the United States-Israeli alliance invasion of Palestine, uh, 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 the destruction of the attempt to destroy Palestinian life. Yeah, I know. It's outrageous. I, I, just, just can't get enthusiastic about 
uh, about it. I'm sorry, but uh, yes, you know we we have to uh, remain inspired and cheered and determined that we can uh, win the struggle for peace, not just in the Middle East, but of course it's all. But there are wars in Africa that are promoted by the United States or assisted by the United States as well. Uh, and, of course, massive problems in parts of South America as well. Yeah, all, all, all be able to uh, uh, find their way to the source, which is about greed, greed capitalism and uh, resource mining. We, we, have to, we have to get our head around that it's a deeper problem than just greed, and greed is an expression of it, but it's... it's there's something... Yeah, uh, no, you're right. There's something very tragic about it all. That's where the alternative program comes from, and that's where peace... We talk about connections, how demands for peaceful relationships between people and nations is an element of that. We should, we should talk about the concept of an alternative program early in the new year. Thanks for talking to us this year. Thanks for your contribution, Don. Best wishes to everybody, and thank you for the opportunity, Annie. That was Don Sutherland, and as he intimated, this is the last live program before the summer season. We will be back live on the 20th of January, but we've got lots of jewels to partake, to give you uh, over the next four programs. Uh, uh, Coming up next is Asia Pacific Currents, and we'll go out with The End of Things, The Bachelorette.
3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to... You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.